0: Hello, We the People. This is Carmela Ciliberti. Thank you for joining me. If you haven't already noticed, this podcast does not lead the news cycle. I'm not interested in adding to the innumerable voices spouting opinions without anything to back it up. My desire is to provide you with evidence to speak the truth, and that takes time and effort. As of today's recording, Pennsylvania's recent election has yet to be certified. Litigation is pending in several counties where voters have sought recounts. According to a Spotlight PA article, 147 petitions were filed in 41 of our 67 counties. This is fantastic news, and I am grateful for the efforts made by these groups. Petitioning the court to have recounts performed is provided for in our election law. Three qualified electors of an election district may file a petition alleging that, upon information which they consider reliable, they believe that fraud or error, although not manifest on the general return of the votes made therefrom, was committed in the canvassing of the votes cast on such machine or machines. The petition does not need to specify the particular act of fraud or error believed to have been committed, nor is evidence needed to substantiate the allegations. What better way to restore confidence in our election system than to have this check valve provided for in our law? What better way to empower the electorate at the local level? Unfortunately, not everyone agrees. State Senator Ryan Aument of Lancaster County stated that the races targeted by recounts were won by large margins and no one has presented evidence showing fraud or procedural issues. Senator Almond, how do you know that each of the 147 recounts were unfounded? You do know petitioners are not required to make a statement of facts, but rather simply allege a belief that fraud or error was committed. Why is it, then, that the law was written in a way that petitioners do not need to provide evidence? Perhaps it is because that, as once was understood by our legislators, when it comes to conducting elections, the state possesses superior knowledge and means of information. Again, I ask, given the statement of facts are not required in the petition, Senator Ahmet, how do you know that no one has evidence showing fraud or procedural issues? Ahmet goes on to add that unfounded efforts only undermine meaningful attempts at election integrity reform. Um, Senator Ahmet, why do you believe citizen-driven audits of local precinct election results undermines election integrity reform? Why isn't it meaningful in your mind? You who purport to fight for transparency in government, have a problem with this? Allment is directly quoted in a Spotlight PA article stating, If the law continues to be abused in this way, I think we need a legislative change to safeguard taxpayer dollars and ensure election workers aren't wasting their time administering hand recounts of elections for which there is no evidence that any malfeasance occurred. I think we need some kind of evidentiary standard or burden of proof before unfounded accusations can be made and taxpayer dollars can be used to order costly recounts. Uh, Speaking of evidence, Senator Allman, do you care to present evidence that the law is being abused, that these individuals do not sincerely hold the belief that fraud or error occurred? For Aument to say the law is being abused is such a slap in the face to the people he was elected to represent. Further, Senator Aument, is only malfeasance, an intentional failure to perform a duty, worthy of investigation? What about misfeasance? How about the unintentional failure to perform a duty? Is that worthy? And Senator Aument, please explain how evidentiary standards, burden of proof, and presumptions are different depending on the cause of action. You see, listeners, there are legal theories based on the realities of human civilization that underpin the standards employed. When it comes to the administration of elections and the use of tabulators specifically, which party, the state or the citizen, possesses superior knowledge or means of information about the tabulator? Which party, the state or the citizen, controls the tabulators? So, Senator Ahmet. How exactly is the general public to collect this evidence? Do you realize that even though each precinct elects a judge of elections, those judges no longer have a direct role in counting votes? They have been effectively replaced by these machine tabulators. Tabulators, the judge of elections, have no control over. Tabulators, the judge of elections, have no part in testing for accuracy nor ensuring a chain of custody regarding access to the machine For programming, we the people, we no longer have direct representation in the election process. Judges of elections in some counties are prohibited from even confirming the number of ballots found in the machine at the end of election day to ensure that they match the total listed on the machine printout. Further, where is the people's judge of elections when it comes to the counting of mail-in ballots? Nowhere. We no longer have one because this function is now performed by unelected and unaccountable bureaucrats. So yes, Senator Almond, please continue to erode the power of the people. You have had no problem doing this in the past since you were more than happy to violate our Constitution with the passage of Act 77. As a side note, Senator Almond is not some Democrat loop. He is, on paper, the perfect example of a strong conservative Republican. He served in the army for four years, speaks proudly of the church he attends, and is a self-proclaimed champion for government transparency. Do you see why we need to watch these people like a hawk? They are full of it. He is not a principled, serious person. He's an opportunist. In his 27 years of adulthood, do you know how many years Aument worked in the private sector? take a guess. Less than three years, with the exception of his four years in the service, which I am deeply grateful for, he has been sucking off we the people for the rest of his working career. That to me is just disgusting when it is combined with arrogance like his thinking that he knows better than we. Now let's turn to some race results. As you already know, the gubernatorial race was called for Shapiro but you might not have heard much about the legislature. Prior to this election, our state Senate was comprised of 28 Republicans, 21 Democrats, and one Independent. Only one race flipped in this election. The Independent seat is now held by a Democrat, so Republicans still hold the majority of the state Senate. In the House, the Republican Party unfortunately lost 12 seats to the Democrats, down to 101 seats from their previous 113 seats. Democrats now hold 99 seats up from their previous 88. I assume this is mostly due to the redistricting that occurred. Now, don't get excited thinking Republicans still hold the majority. This is subject to change. There are 203 seats in our House, and 101 and 99 only add up to 200. So what gives with the remaining three seats? Those seats are the 32nd, 34th, and 35th districts in the Pittsburgh area. Tony DeLuca, as you probably have heard, representative of the 32nd district, passed away. By the time of his death, it was too late for the county to change the ballot. Summer Lee of the 34th district won her election for a seat in our U.S. Congress. And Austin Davis from the 35th is, of course, our new lieutenant governor. Special elections will need to be held prior to our May primary to fill these seats. It is speculated that these three seats will remain Democrat and therefore give the party a one-seat advantage over the Republicans. So what does this all mean? Hopefully, it means that two branches of our state government, the executive and legislative, will be hamstrung from accumulating more power over we the people. Well, one can dream. Sadly, we will likely see many representatives do whatever it takes to hang on to power. In our Commonwealth, the majority party Speaker of the House appoints committee chairs. Those committee chairs determine which bills advance at a committee and to the floor for a vote by the full chamber. Similar to our federal government, bills must pass both houses and be signed into law by the governor. Overriding the governor's veto and certain appropriation bills require a two-thirds majority. So that's 33 votes in the Senate and 136 votes in the House. Otherwise, a constitutional majority, which is defined as more than half of those elected to the House or Senate, is needed to pass legislation. So 26 votes in the Senate for bills to pass and 102 votes in the House. We the people, this is going to be super fun to watch. The true colors of our representatives are going to be revealed. Do any of them have the intestinal fortitude to hold the line for liberty? I'm cautiously optimistic, but there are some green shoots of hope. First, there will be some new faces in the legislature. Five Republicans and one Democrat in the Senate and 28 Republicans and 25 Democrats in the House are all new to this body. We will monitor their votes and see where they fall on the control power spectrum. And when I say the control power spectrum, the spectrum should be visualized with the government and political parties on one end and we the people on the other. Second, last week, state reps Don Kiefer and David Rowe formally introduced the Pennsylvania Freedom Caucus, which they will lead. Presently, we are told there are 23 members comprised of both those currently serving in the House and those who have since retired from the chamber. Pennsylvania is the eighth state to establish a Freedom Caucus as part of the State Freedom Caucus Network. As always, links to more information can be found in the show notes. Here is a clip of Representative Kiefer describing the vision for the caucus.
1: As Ronald Reagan said, government doesn't solve problems, they subsidize them. Republicans have controlled the House and Senate since I took office in 2017. And the strides taken to make Pennsylvania the best place to work, live, and raise a family have been nominal at best. As we have offered ideas individually to streamline our tax code, to rein in the 150,000-plus regulations, to empower individuals and support parents we have been ignored, patronized, dismissed, and even marginalized. Worse, government has continued to grow at a breakneck pace. Don't believe me? Just take a look at the budget. When I first took office, we passed a budget that was just shy of $32 billion. The budget we just passed this past June topped off at almost $43 billion. That's $11 billion in six years, $11 billion. More government spending always comes with a power grab. So we stand before you today to announce the launch of the Pennsylvania Freedom Caucus, a group of like-minded legislators committed to standing in the gap for citizens of Pennsylvania against the power-hungry establishment. We know that when government powers increase, personal freedoms decrease. And Pennsylvania's personal freedoms have been decreasing and going on the downward trend for decades. Members of the Pennsylvania Freedom Caucus stand united to protect personal freedoms, the right to pursue economic aspirations without undue government influence, and the right to live and raise a family without big brother of government usurping individual liberties. We live in one of the greatest states in this nation, and it's time to return this commonwealth to that status.
0: What a radical agenda. No wonder they have less than two dozen members. How pathetic is that Only twenty three current and previous House members could muster the courage to support this effort? Where are the remaining eighty or so Republican representatives? Where are the Democrats who at least used to give lip service to these causes? I am truly grateful for their efforts. I really am. But I will remain cautiously optimistic when it comes to them holding the line for liberty. why because Kiefer and David Rowe both voted for Act 77 mail-in ballots. Now, it's possible they have learned their lesson, but their actions or inactions will tell us for sure. No discussion on the election would be complete without a post-mortem review. In our next episode, I will share with you why I believe we did not see a red wave in Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining me. I would love to hear from you. Please submit comments or questions through my website, carmelasiliberti.com, or call me at 302-584-3594. Want to help build the constitutional conservative movement in Chester County and beyond? Then subscribe to my podcast. It's free, and subscriptions help us get the word out. Thanks again.